Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is Peter symbolizes faith. And I hope to demonstrate this in, in uh, this evening through looking at passages. You know that we're talking about the Apostle Peter, who is the most prominent of the apostles. He actually has three different names. Uh, he's called Peter, he's called Simon, and he's called Kephas, or however you pronounce that, C-E-P-H-A-S, uh, Peter being Greek for a rock, and Kephas being the, the Syrian, I think, for the same thing. Uh, the name Simon is related to Simeon, which means hearing. So I'm interested in the fact that he starts out named Simon, uh, and then he gains the name of Peter. So he goes from hearing to being a rock. And I think we'll see something about that intense journey that he took tonight. And Swedenborg tells us that he corresponds to faith. This is the journey of faith that he went on. And we'll see just a few passages that are connected with faith or with things that, that uh, help support that rendering of who he is. I'm planning in coming weeks to talk about James and then John and then talk about all three of them together. So tonight we're going to get started with Peter. I'll just mention one little fact right now, which is that in Peter, James, and John, they almost always appear in that order. That's why we're taking them in that order. They're, they're mentioned in the Bible almost universally as Peter, James, and John. And what I hope to show with these next few Bible studies is why they come in that particular order and not a different order. Would you join me in an opening prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for gathering us in your name. You are the word made flesh. We thank you, Lord, for bowing the heavens and coming down, for bringing down that new Jerusalem into this world. We pray for understanding, Lord. We want insight into the nature of your apostle Peter and why it is that he's so prominent in the text of the New Testament. Amen. Thank you, friends. Sending love out to all of you online and getting the audio and on the phone and so on. Let me tell you who we are a little bit. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg born 1688, died 1772. The name spirit and life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life, John 6, 63. Spirit, which we take to mean that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life we take to mean that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the word made flesh, John 1, 14, what he says of his words applies to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how we can get from hell to heaven. Very nice to be with you, friends. So Simon Peter, and how does he go from being Simon to being Peter? Let's read some stories in the New Testament about this apostle. Uh, the first thing I want to say about him is that uh, I counted up how many times the different names of the apostles the 12 apostles appear, just the names, not pronouns or whatever, but just how many times do they appear. 
Uh, several of them have more than one name. A couple of them have three, three of them have two names and so on. So I added them all together of how many times they appear. Um, it's very interesting to me that there are three of the apostles are only mentioned four times ever. And basically, if you're only mentioned four times, you're only mentioned in each of the Gospels where the Lord goes out and picks the disciples and you never hear another thing about them. Four times. Now, you would think if divine love came down into this world, one of the most important things would be to show love for everybody to have a nice gender balanced group of, of disciples, you know, six men, six women, and to be very even in your treatment of everybody and to say nice things about each one. That, oh, you're like this and you're like that and so on. Uh, what we actually get, there's another disciple who's mentioned eight times. There's 110, 112, 115, 116, 119, 122 times, 135 times. And guess who's mentioned 210 times? <laughs> now, the difference between 4 and 210 is rather stark. Peter sticks out like a sore thumb. He's referred to 160 times as Peter, 44 times as Simon, and 6 times as Cephas. And uh, you put them all together, that's 210. In other words, of 359 mentions of the apostles by name, 58% of them are just Peter. Just one disciple gets 58% of the airtime. Uh, it, it hardly seems fair, does it? Uh, he gets a tremendous amount of attention, a lot of stories, a lot of focus, and so on. Why, how, how would that be allowed to be so lopsided? And when we get to talking about Peter, James, and John, we'll hear how just those three were picked out to go up the mountain. Just those three were there at this time. Just those three were there. Why, you know, why are you playing favorites like that? It seems so unfair. Doesn't it rub you the wrong way? Shouldn't everybody? Did you even know? Do, do, do all of you know that there's a disciple named Lebius? You know, one of the 12 apostles is named Lebius. Not a household name, I would argue, you know. Do we spend a lot of time thinking, well, well, well there's good old Lebius at least, you know. Um, but Peter, 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 it, it's, all, it's all about Peter. So let's think about why Peter is talked about so much and look at what we read about him. If you'll start, good friends, and we'll all be in the New Testament tonight. And Matthew chapter 4. Let's read the call of Peter in Matthew. There are very similar calls in the other Gospels. Let's read verses 18 to 22 in Matthew chapter 4 there. Now this is up until this point. I mean, let's start at verse 17 because that's okay. the beginning of Jesus' ministry, period. It starts in verse 17 and then in verse 18 he's calling disciples. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter. Oh, so there he is. He's Simon, called Peter, okay. And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They were fishermen. Okay, they're casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And what does he say? Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Okay. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Okay. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I'm intrigued. Maybe we'll have a chance to talk about this in a few weeks, but I'm intrigued that Peter and Andrew are referred to as fishermen, but what we hear about James and John is not a noun we hear an action that they're mending their nets. They, they, they're not called fishermen, they're mending their nets. So uh, as we get into the meaning of James and John, that'll become more meaningful that they're sort of verbed when, when Andrew and, and Simon Peter are nouned, so to speak. Okay, uh, so they, they left and followed the Lord. All right, good. And let's go to Matthew chapter 10, where... These 12 disciples get sent out. So let's read 10, and, and uh, this will be the, actually the only mention of Lebius by that name, so let's enjoy that. <laughs> and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Mm. <laughs> now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon. Oh, first. Mm -hmm. hmm. So Simon is first. That's what it said, right? First, Simon. Now, is that trivial? Is anything in Scripture trivial? It says he's first. He's first, and tell me a little more about Simon. Simon, who is called Peter. Oh, okay. And Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Okay, same order that we heard them in before, roughly, mm -hmm. right? Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Okay. Simon, the Canaanite. Now, can you believe it? He had a Canaanite? Really? He had a Canaanite for his disciple? Wow. That's amazing. Uh-huh. Go on. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. All right, all right, all right. Let's just read a few verses here to hear the nature of their charge as they're sent out. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, mm. but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, it's interesting that in Matthew, that's the nature of the charge. In, in Luke, it's, it's a more kind of international approach. But go on. Uh, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Okay, good. Now we get into it. I know at least one person in here doesn't want me to read this tonight. Matthew chapter 16. <laughs> Let's go to uh, verse 13. A very crucial interaction or series of interactions between Jesus and Peter. Some of this is very familiar to your friends, isn't it? When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Okay, very important question. Who is Jesus? Okay. So they said, some say John the Baptist some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Very interesting that they're all sort of pro prophetic types. You know, they're the prophets. They, they believe that they, they're a prophet come back to life. 
He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now listen to this carefully. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay, so not, it doesn't say that he's John the Baptist, come back to life, or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Okay, and what does Jesus say? Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah. Now there was an Old Testament prophet named Jonah, and that name means the dove. And so he's the son of, of Jonah. Go on. Why is he blessed? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Mm. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on Now remember, Peter means rock or stone, right? And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Mm. Wow, that's a very strong statement that, that he's going to build the church. You are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Go on. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wow. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed mm. in heaven. Okay. Um, good. Go on. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Okay. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Oh, okay. So now it's interesting, isn't it, that you see these little details that in verse 16 he was called Simon Peter. It says Simon Peter and Simon Peter says this great thing about you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, and he just heaps this praise. Uh, but now he's just Peter, and he actually rebukes Jesus. I think he is... At the crucifixion, there's mockery and spitting and various different things. I think Peter's alone in actually rebuking Jesus. I think that's a mark of distinction right there. Uh, go on. Uh... But he, Jesus, turned aside and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Aha. Uh -huh. So just moments later, as you've probably heard me talk about before, if you're a friend of this Bible study for a while, it just amazes me that the same Peter is told at one moment, I'm going to build my church on this rock, you know, you're Peter. Peter means the rock. On this rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and loosed and loosed. And then moments later, just a few verses later, he's saying, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, and you're not thinking about the things of God. It's just the opposite of what he just said, right? Mm -hmm. The thing he just said was, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And yet here he's saying, you're not thinking about the things of God, but things that come from people. Huh. Okay, and just read the next um, couple of verses. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mm. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Yes, okay, so how could it be? Now, uh, one point that a friend just mentioned to me today is the fact that what is the meaning of this rock? It, this statement, as you know, has shaped a huge thing in our, in our world. Uh, certainly one of the largest church groups on earth is Roman Catholicism that has taken this statement to mean that Jesus was handing power over heaven and earth to Peter, and Peter was, is considered to have been the first bishop of Rome. Uh, he was the vicar of Christ, and he handed that on to the, the succession of popes because Jesus gave him that power. And yet elsewhere in Scripture, it says very clearly that the, the Lord is the cornerstone. You know, the, the, the stone which was rejected has become the, the cornerstone, this marvelous in our eyes. Uh, did the Lord really give his cornerstoneness to someone else? He seems like he says, I'm the cornerstone. So what does he mean by this rock? Does he mean Peter's a, Peter's a rock and he's going to build his church on that rock? When a, at another time he says he's going to be the cornerstone? What if this rock means the thing that Peter just said? A rock means truth. And what he just said is, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the rock, the acknowledgement of the Lord, the Lord as the rock, and that statement, that acknowledgement of the Lord is the rock on which the church will be built and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. It's not that Peter as an individual is going to have this. And Swedenborg would, would hasten to say that uh, in his meaning of faith, of having a true kind of faith, an acknowledgement of who Jesus is, that's the sense in which he's given the keys of the kingdom. Faith opens, you know, faith on earth opens up things in heaven, and what, what it binds on earth binds things in heaven. It's in his meaning as faith that these things are true, not of that particular individual. That's the way you can understand how somebody can go from being the rock on which the church is built to being Satan the next moment. Peter means faith and the nature of faith, the nature of uh, Swedenborg divides the human being into these two essential parts, the heart and the mind. And he says, Peter has to do with the mind. And it's interesting that Peter is so fluctuating here that what is good about him when he's good is that he's thinking things that come from the Lord, right? He's thinking things that come from the divine love called the Father in heaven. When he's bad, when he's Satan, it's because he's thinking things that are human and not godly. So he is that thought process. And when he's thinking the right things, he's good. And when he's thinking the wrong things, he's Satan. That makes so much sense to me, much more sense than that one individual had all that placed on him, you know. Um, so Peter means something having to do with faith and with thought and so on. I also think that that's why he's called first. And Simon, Simon is the same word as Simeon in the Old Testament, and it has to do with hearing. Uh, let's skip ahead really quick. We'll put our finger in Matthew here and come back to that in a moment. If you go to the right through John and Acts, you get to Romans. And I want to look at Romans chapter 10. Verse 17, a very ringing sort of verse here that Paul says to the Romans. Romans 10. 10, verse 17. 17. 
So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Aha. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, hearing is Simon. Simon is hearing. And so, and that hearing to state the, I hope it's obvious, good friends, it doesn't just mean that the radio was playing while you were asleep. Uh, you're listening to it. You know, the hearing is obeying, being open to something, right? Responding to it. The faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there's this chain and faith is actually the last thing that comes in this sequence. You have hearing first and then that turns into faith. So I think this relates to, to Simon Peter's name, that he starts out as Simon, which is hearing. You got to start with hearing. You got to hear the word. Uh, to try to build that faith, but the faith doesn't come overnight. Like he got it right one day, and the Lord said a nice thing about him, and the next minute he said something bad, and the Lord called him Satan. Uh, he's still fluctuating. He's not all the way to being faith. He is not a rock yet. In fact, that's the opposite of rockhood. One of the things about rocks is that they don't change four verses later, you know? So the thing that he's thinking at that one moment is rock-like, but he becomes very unrock-like in another moment uh, because he's off, he's off track and Jesus has to rebuke him for rebuking him. Now, you can understand where Peter was coming from. He says, you know, Jesus says, well, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed and so on and so forth. Now, where's Peter coming from in saying, that's never going to happen to you? Are you kidding me? Uh, well, Peter thinks he knows how this thing is going to go. He knows the prophecies. Prophecies say that there's going to be this new kingdom and it's all going to be about, you know, Jehovah coming to Mount Zion and everything will be great and all the enemies will be dealt with and so on. You know, so one thing he's certain of is that it's not, it's not going to involve him being killed. That's, that's ridiculous. So Peter has to set him straight. Look, I know the scriptures. That's not going to happen to you. And uh, so Jesus says, you're reading scripture in a very earthly, worldly way. Just, just want to tell you, good job on knowing the scriptures, but <laughs> bad job on interpreting them. Uh, that that's an earthly way of looking at it. What you're talking about has to do with love of the world, love of self, you know, power in this world, politics, all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about something that's higher. And, and um, so he has to put him in his place. Very interesting passage to me. Okay, turn to Matthew 26. So now we get into the crucifixion. Doesn't go so well for Peter in the crucifixion either. Okay, let's pick up at verse 31 of Matthew 26. And we'll read about 10 or 11 verses down there. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Okay, now is Jesus quoting scripture? He is. He's quoting scripture. That's Zechariah 13, verse 7. Smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and so on. He's quoting scripture. Okay. So what does Peter say? Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. <laughs> it's just wonderful. You know, you've you got to admire it. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, Jesus just quoted him scripture and said, all the sheep are going to be scattered. And he says, not me. 
So is he in alignment with the scriptures right here? He's not quite on board, is he? He's still wavering, and he's not a rock yet. He, and he's not even hearing all that well at this particular moment. So what does Jesus say to him? Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Mm. Peter's not listening to Jesus, and he's not listening to Scripture, and he doesn't hear this. Peter you know, said, Jesus says that, but Peter, Peter doesn't hear it, right? I mean, he doesn't seem to register it. Look what he says. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Okay, good, go on. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Who happened to be James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Mm. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Okay, he went simple little, request. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes, let's stop there. But isn't it interesting? He comes, he finds them all asleep, but he, he singles out Peter. Why would he do that? They're all, they're all not watching with him. But he singles out Peter and he says, what, couldn't you watch with me for, for one hour? Interesting that he singles out Peter there. Again, that has to do with the mind being awake and, and having to do with faith and so on, that it breaks down at this point. So he says, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes, let's look down at verse 57. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. To see the end. Now the chief... Yeah, wow, that's powerful. Okay, let's skip down to verse 69. Lots now, of stuff to read there, but... Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of, of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. Mm. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Mm. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I mm. do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Yeah, that was a difficult moment. So he'd sworn up and down. Now you see, he's just thinking what he's thinking, what's right in front of him. So when he's there at the Last Supper, he'll say, oh, I'm, no, I'm going to die with you for sure. And then when he sees things, he goes to see what the end is going to be. And then he finds himself surrounded by all these people. He's absolutely alone. And they start saying, wait a minute, you're, you're one of them, aren't you? And so 
he's not real eager to join Jesus, uh, <laughs> you know, in the situation that he's going through. So he said, no, no. And, and it's interesting how the story escalates a little bit where he, he sort of swears an oath and then he starts cursing and swearing like, no, no, I, you know, I never met him. And he's getting more and more adamant about it. And they say, no, no, you're, you're one because, you know, I can tell from, from your speech and everything. He came from up north. He wasn't from around there. And, uh, and then the, the, the rooster crows, and he remembers what he said, and he weeps bitterly. Now, these are just a few of many, many stories that involve Peter, but they're ones that show him as being kind of variable and unrock-like up to this point. And he's kind of sometimes hearing, and he's sometimes not hearing. So let's look at what happens. Uh, the next thing I want to read is over in the Gospel of John. Uh, chapter 1, verse, uh, let's start at verse 40. Okay. This is a different account of the calling of the apostles. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. A stone, right. It's just the same as saying Peter. Uh, so what interests me there is that Jesus in this gospel names him. He's the one who gives him that name. In the other gospel, he already has that name, Peter. But here, the, the Lord is the one who gives him that, that name. And it doesn't come up very much after that, but it does in a few stories. Uh, and let's look at Acts. So turn to the right to the book of Acts. Look at Acts. So this is right after the crucifixion and the resurrection and all that, uh, the ascension. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and mm. Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Uh -huh. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples although the number of names was about 120, and said... And he, he held forth. It was talking about having to replace Judas, who was, they'd lost the 12 Judas had hung himself, so they needed to pick somebody else. So isn't it interesting? There were 120 disciples at that point, uh, 10 times the number, and, um, mm. and Peter stood up in their midst. He took the lead, right? Mm-hmm. He took the lead. That, that's what you do. When you stand up in the midst, he said, look, you know, we've got to get a replacement. Uh, let's work on this and so on. Uh, let's read a bunch of chapter 2 here. Why don't you just start at the beginning of chapter 2. This is the famous day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Mm. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Namely, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, whose dwelling in those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Nothing like it had ever happened before. What is going on? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. Yes, they've been drinking strong, strong wine. But Peter said... Oh. Standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and Here said Here he goes to them, again. So he's standing up. There's Peter is the one. He's standing up. Do you sense a change in Peter? He was, he was wavering before, but now he's standing up and he's bold. What does he say? Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then the next number of verses are a quote from Joel. Let's read it. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, wait a minute. Verses 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. He just rattles off five verses of Scripture from memory. Well, this is Joel chapter 2. You know, he knows all that Scripture. Interesting, huh? Now, what does uh, Peter go on to say? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Now, he's taking it easy on people. I can see that. Uh, he's standing up and saying, you all killed Jesus. Is that the essence of his message? seems fairly bold, you know, rather direct, I would say. Okay, go on. Uh, him. So him whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For yes. David... And, and then there's another quote of four verses long from the Psalms. 
Uh, let's skip down to verse 29, just in the interest of time. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. That's a reference to the thing that he just quoted from the Psalms. Go on. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Mm. Therefore, let now all, listen to the strength of this statement. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So, again, a bit of a soft sell. I can understand when you're just getting Christianity going. You don't want to sort of step on the gas and uh, look at that. He says, look at this. I, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God made that same Jesus, both Lord and Christ, that same Jesus whom you crucified. You know, <laughs> it's, wow, it's very strong. How did they react? Let's just read two verses here. Okay, where are we up to? Verse 37. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Mm. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter what said does to Peter them, Peter say to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, a very important moment. So you have the, the day of Pentecost, and you have this kind of spiritual experience that's going on, and everybody hearing the language, and they don't know how to interpret it. And some mockers are saying, well, they're just drunk or something. You know, I don't know what's going on. And it takes Peter. So there's a spiritual experience, and then there's this explanation. And Peter gets up, and he says, no, listen to the Scripture. Isn't this what we read in Joel chapter 2? What about the Psalms, you know, Psalm 16 and so on? And uh, here's how to understand all this. And uh, he's very bold and very forceful, and it says uh, that this had a, a huge effect. You know, all kinds of people joined the church, and uh, a lot of people joined the church after that. Uh, so Peter took the lead on that. I sense a very different feeling from that. It's almost like a different person to me than the person who's sort of waffling, who sometimes kind of gets it, but sometimes is waffling and you know, saying the wrong thing or making some bold claim of, yeah, no, I'll die with you for sure. And uh, the, the, he, when he wept bitterly, I think he really went through a transformation and came out in a different form. Uh, oh, look at chapter 3, verse 19. This is another speech that Peter gave. What does he say there? Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Yes, so he's preaching a very strong message of repentance. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 13, uh, so 
they're testifying before the high priest and all the, you know, all the, all the luminaries. And listen to how they react in verse 13 here, Acts 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... So Peter and John were really bold. You know, they were just... So you, when, when you're at the top echelon, you might be used to people sort of crawling in subserviently and speaking deferentially and so forth. Not, not Peter and John. They were just hammering it. And what did they also perceive about these people? When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Yes, in the language, delightful language of the old King James, unlearned and ignorant men. Yes. Mm -hmm. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Yes. Uh, so isn't that interesting that the way, they, the way they came across was that they were very, very bold, but it was absolutely clear that they hadn't been through the formal education. You know, they, they weren't scribes, they weren't Pharisees, they hadn't, they, uh, they were unlearned. Uh, but it amazes me how they're able to just quote the scriptures and everything, and they're, and they're, they're just very bold and very strong in, in what they're saying. And the core message is about repentance. Okay, look at chapter 9 in Acts. The whole first half of the book of Acts is really all about Peter. There's way too many stories for us to read, but let's read these stories from 32, let's say, to the, almost to the end of the um, chapter. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So Peter did a miracle, a lot like Jesus did. Mm -hmm. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Yes, go on. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Uh -huh. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Who else said something like that? Wasn't there somebody who said something like that in the New Testament? Okay. And she opened her eyes, oh. and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Yes, that's right. That's, that was the effect of his miracles and his preaching. Uh, again, now, Jesus had given them that power when he sent them out in Matthew 10. He said, I give, you know, power over evil spirits, power to, to raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and so on. But you really see it being played out here, and it seems so much like Peter is more... Uh, like the embodiment of Jesus again or something. You know, he's really got that spirit. He gives all the credit to the Lord. He says, the Lord is making you whole. 
you know, get up and make your bed and so on. Uh, but he's, he's sort of channeling the Lord into this world, doing these healings. Uh, and what the healings have to do with faith. In many of the healings, doesn't Jesus say, your faith has made you whole, your faith has made you well. There's something about Peter who means faith doing these healings. You know, there's a connection between his meaning as faith and the, and the fact that these miracles are recorded. The other thing that I want to look at, friends, is can you turn almost all the way back to the book of Revelation and before those epistles of John, you'll see two epistles of Peter. This is Peter. All right, the first epistle of Peter and the second epistle of Peter. I just want to read a little bit of this to get the flavor of it because uh, we not only read about him, but we read something that he sent out to the church. So what does he say? What's the, what's the flavor of this? What's the way that he writes? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and pick up at verse 6 there. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, mm. that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right. For, you know, for an unlearned person, he's not doing too bad. Um, <laughs> that was difficult to understand. Now, but what was he talking about? With the trial of what? Uh, the trial of, I lost it. Yeah, the various trials. For beginning of verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith. The genuineness of your faith. That's what, that's what he's talking about. Your faith. Right? He's talking about the process whereby you get... Now, was he someone who had been tried? He'd been through yeah. a couple of trying experiences, maybe, a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's right. So he knew what he was talking about. This was not theoretical to him. And he was talking about the, the genuine... Of, and In the Old King James, the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Uh, just go on a little bit there. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Wow, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So you see, this is all about faith. It's all about faith being a process. So isn't it interesting? Swedenborg says that Peter means faith. And here he is talking about faith and faith being a process. And it's, there's been a rumor spread through certain obscure pockets of Christianity that salvation is by faith alone. Uh, what Peter says very clearly here is that faith is a process, the end of which is the salvation of your soul. It's not the hour I first believed. It's the last hour or whatever, you know, it's receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. It's a long process. And you're not, you know, was Peter saved when Jesus called him Satan or what? You know, he was still kind of in process there, wasn't he? Was he saved when he betrayed, you know, when he, not betrayed, but he denied the Lord three times and everything. Uh, he still had some growing to do. Um, yes, okay, that, that's good. That's a little taste of Peter. Let's look at verses 22 down there. Again, he's like Paul. He's in a long sentence here. but Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Isn't that nice? What is faith? Simon Peter, hearing Peter the rock, 
obeying the truth. Isn't that his name? Mm. Obeying the truth. Isn't his name obeying the truth? Mm. Right? Seeing you have purified your soul. How did you purify your souls? Oh, through obeying the truth. Right? Hmm. All right. Do go on. Um, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, Mm. having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Mm. Faith is by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Yep, it's about obeying the truth. And you see how truth in that passage goes to love, right? That you love one another with a pure heart, fervently being born again and so on. Mm. That's what he's talking about. That's, so that's what Peter is preaching about in his epistle. And, oh, let's look at um, chapter 2. Let's just start the first uh, few verses there. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Wow, again, this sense of a process. Peter's someone who understands now. Now he's got understanding. He understands it's a process. It involves repentance, which is what it means by that laying aside the malice and all those things. And after you lay those things aside... Then you really come into that pure milk of the word that will let you grow. Mm-hmm. Okay, go on. Let's read some more here. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Mm. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord You've is You've tasted gracious. that the Lord is gracious. Yeah, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, yeah. right, go on. Coming to him as to a living stone. A what? A living stone. Oh, so you come to the Lord. Oh, the Lord is a living stone. Hmm. His name is Stone. And he's presenting the Lord as a stone. Okay, go on. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and Mm. precious. There's that cornerstone again, right? You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Wow. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame believing stone believing faith truth repentance does that have anything to do with what peter means go on therefore to you who believe he is precious but to those who are disobedient the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone Mm. and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. So the rock equals the word. And if you disobey the word, then you stumble. Right? And just jump down to verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So he's always hammering this repentance idea. You've got to change your life. So he's about faith, but he's not at all about faith alone. What he's preaching so solidly is about the Lord as the one God of heaven and earth, and he's preaching about repentance and, and the need to understand and so on. Uh, oh, and just let's look over at Second um, Peter chapter 1. Let's just read, I don't know, 
Yeah, let's read the first 11 verses there. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with oh. us by oh. the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Faith. Okay. Simon Peter, faith. Okay, good. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Knowledge, right? That's another faith-related, mind-related sort of word. Knowledge, okay. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, mm. by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises mm. that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. What a phrase that is, huh? Partakers of the divine nature. Mm -hmm. Very nice, okay. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay. But Tell also, me about that. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Oh, so what do you mean? What do you start with? Add to your faith. Oh, so you start with faith. Uh-huh. Okay, so it starts with faith. All right. Faith, add to, add to that virtue. virtue. To virtue, add knowledge. Okay, why not? To knowledge, self-control. Okay, good idea. To self-control, perseverance. Wait, this is getting a little tough here. To perseverance, godliness. Okay, that's, I can't, okay. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Love, or in the Old King James, charity. charity. It's a whole journey from faith to charity that he outlines there. Isn't that beautiful? And it has all these key points, and this is how to be a partaker of the divine knowledge. Go on. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Wow. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things... Two of my favorite words, if and do. <laughs> if you do these things... You will never stumble. Mm. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes. So faith is teaching us that you have to live. You have to change the way that you live. You have to repent. You have to understand who the Lord is. So do you feel, I feel both in the sort of sermons that are recounted in the book of Acts. We just saw a couple of them there. Um, and then in his own epistles, just this strength, you know, like this clarity. I, I don't feel anything like that in the Gospels. But after Jesus is resurrected, Peter just solidifies into this force to be reckoned with. And those epistles and those sermons are bold as, you know, he'll get up in front of thousands of people and say, you killed the Lord, you know. And uh, he's as bold as anything. And he's preaching all these things that have to do with faith and truth. So I think he really comes into to embody his name. So I think we see Peter go from hearing and not hearing very well, but learning the scriptures, following Jesus, thinking maybe I've got some understanding. So you try something and the Lord says, that was good. So you try something else. No, that was bad. Uh, so he doesn't quite understand it yet, but he's trying. And then he goes through this really awful experience of denying the Lord and realizing that he's not really with the Lord in the way that he thought he was. 
and he weeps bitterly. And when he comes back out of that, then the disciples are all sitting around. They're, they're probably feeling pretty crushed, I imagine. But he stands up in the middle of them and he said, look, okay, let's move on. Got to find a replacement for Judas. Let's get this thing going. And, and, uh, and there are other stories like that. He's the one who says, let's go fishing, you know, uh, after the resurrection and uh, leading the disciples. So there's a sense in which he's first. And I think he's first because faith... Uh, Faith leads. It leads in the sense of coming first. It says, first, Simon, who is called Peter, you know, he, he comes first. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's where you start. That, that's how things get started. And so Peter is preaching repentance. He really hammers the idea of repentance in a number of those different speeches there. And that's what comes first. You know, that first thing. Like, here's this method, message of truth. You've got to change your ways. And then I see him going through this intense journey of faith, of not understanding, of having thoughts that are actually earthly human thoughts that he thought were really great thoughts, so great that he would dare to sort of rebuke Jesus and try to set him straight. And then he finds out, oh, no, no, I'm not thinking the right thing. And his thoughts get purified in the way that he describes there in those epistles. So it's a really great thing that we have those um, scriptures and stories about him. And I think the reason that he's mentioned so much more than any other disciple is because faith and truth is really what is sort of the presenting face of, of scripture, if you will. You know what I mean? The truth is, is, is what that presenting face is about. He's the face of the disciples because he's that faith. He's the truth. He's what's, what's visible there. Uh, we'll find out later uh, that Swedenborg does not consider him to be the most important disciple. He saves that for John uh, and has a very interesting argument about that. But there's no question that Peter sort of gets Christianity version 1.0 going. He's the one who takes that strong method, uh, message out and isn't Christianity version 1.0, meaning the whole of this the Catholic and Protestant thing that's been going on for a couple thousand years now, hasn't that been an awful lot about, about faith? Uh, it becomes a particularly important word. And, and isn't it interesting that the whole thing is that Peter becomes the, the head, you know, that's passed on from Peter. The whole thing is through that succession as Peter is the central thing, that faith is central in the Protestant Reformation. Faith is absolutely central and in fact, it starts to kind of kick charity out or say it's only secondary and it's just a sign of your faith. But the really important thing is that you have faith. I think this is partly why Peter is so central to the story, uh, because faith is going to be very important in Christianity version 1.0. But we'll find out that in Christianity version 2.0, it'll be more about John than it is about Peter, and you'll just have to wait to find out what John means. Um, so... To summarize all this, in the Bible, I think we see the Apostle Peter going through this intense journey of faith where he goes from hearing through doubting, vacillating, denying, and so on, and then he becomes this rock. So he's well-named from hearing to rock. We see him go through that process, and it's particularly exquisite to me that he says in his epistles that this is a journey, the end of your faith is the salvation of your souls. The, the faith is something that pulls you on this long journey, but he is preaching 
about that it has to be about repentance. It has to be about love. It has to be about the Lord. He is not anything having to do with faith alone. Um, and that concludes my thoughts for this evening. Good friends. So I invite you back next week when we'll be talking about James and try to piece together what these different apostles mean and why it always comes in that order, Peter, James, and John. Can you join me in a closing prayer? Lord, our faith only really becomes faith when it's joined to love and useful work. Thank you for showing us the example of Peter, how he is strengthened, how he becomes so solid and unmovable and so much an embodiment of your love, doing the healings, raising people from the dead, preaching your word after you had passed from this world. We thank you, Lord, for this example. And thank you for inspiring us with that spirit, with that strength. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, just like Peter told us to.